Metricast. There's a change happening in the way we live, the way we work, the way we spend our money and make our decisions. We are evolving to be more conscious in our actions in a way that serves the world and makes it a better place. Welcome to the Ethical Evolution. The Ethical Evolution podcast is brought to you by Ethical Change Agency. I'm Bindi, I'm the founder, and my mission is to help ethical entrepreneurs and holistic healers to find their voice through spiritual coaching and podcasting. I'm honoured to bring you the stories of those who create change through healing, kindness, innovation, purpose, and spirit. Understanding that to create collective change, we need to be the change. It all begins with us. Mel Kettle is a trusted mentor to executives and leaders and a highly sought-after speaker and trainer. Her clients include leaders, teams and organisations that want to achieve real connection and sustained engagement. At the heart of everything Mel does is a commitment to self-leadership. She has an overarching belief that we need to lead ourselves first before we can lead others. This view came after she survived the debilitating effects of work-related loneliness, stress and burnout in her late 20s and was reinforced when she had a life-threatening melanoma in her early 40s. Mel and I have known each other for years and always enjoy getting together to amplify our strengths, particularly on a podcast. I hope you get as much value out of this conversation as we did. Welcome, Mel, to The Ethical Evolution. Thanks so much, Bindi. It is great to be here. (laughs) Now, Mel, you and I have known each other for a few years, uh, and this isn't the first podcast we've done together either. Um, For those who don't know who you are, can you go ahead and tell us who you are and what you do? So my name is Mel Kettle. I'm a leadership communication specialist and I work with leaders and teams to help them create real connection and sustained engagement. And I know you're a comms expert because you answered that so succinctly (laughs) (laughs) and you got straight to the point. (laughs) Yes, I have worked in the comms space for my whole career Um, and in the last probably maybe two or three or four years I've moved into more leadership communication than broader communication. So the work I do today um, includes strategy development, workshops, masterclasses. Um, I speak at lots of conferences, a whole lot more before COVID, Mm. Um, but it's coming back, so that's good. Um, In the last couple of years, a lot of the work I've done has been around connection and connecting with self because I genuinely believe that you can't connect adequately and appropriately with others if you're not fully connected with who you are. Mm, absolutely. And I'm sure we'll talk more about that. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's probably where you and I have intersected again um, quite a lot and where we resonate with each other um, in that connection and, and that those conscious kind of conversations um, that people have. Um, and, and, you know, you're an author as well. And this, uh, we're about to talk about your current book, but uh, it's not your first book either. Um, so your current book that's that's just come out, uh, Fully Connected, um, focuses on the importance of being a connected leader. And, and like you've just said, um, how can you connect with others if you can't connect with yourself? 
Yeah, exactly. I really believe that leaders connect in three ways. So they connect with themselves first so they can thrive. They connect, they need to connect with their teams and lead connected teams that align and they lead cultures um, that are cultures of belonging. And it's really difficult. And I've noticed this from my personal experience as a leader and also through watching my clients and observing, um, you know, more um, public leaders that if you don't first connect with yourself and prioritise yourself and manage your energy and have joy in your life, then you're not going to be thriving and it's really difficult to be a leader who has impact and effectiveness if you don't thrive. So if you're exhausted or you're um, low on energy or you're cranky all the time, um, how do you lead other people mm. in the way that they need to be led and want to be led? And there's so much to unpack in just that, you know, like um, we've all been in a space or, or, you know, particularly an office space where you know, someone's come in and they've got an energy and that energy spreads, you know, like, you know, we we talk about behaviours, but energy is a whole other thing. Someone comes in and they're in a mood or, you know, they're having a bad day. You can feel that from across the room and it changes the whole energy in the room. As a leader, if you're carrying that energy around, how do you think it's going to make the people who follow you feel? Oh, absolutely. One of my favourite expressions is misery loves company. Mm. And so if you're a misery guts and if you're negative and if you're all doom and gloom and pessimistic, then that mood, that that attitude and those behave, the behaviours that come out of that attitude will absolutely carry across your whole team. Um, an example is many years ago I worked in this amazing organisation. Everybody, there were probably about 120 people in the organisation and and people loved each other, they respected each other. There were a lot of people who'd been there for, you know, 30, 40 years. That's one guy who'd been there for 47 years. And to go into an organisation like that was just it was an incredible place to work because we worked really effectively as a team. And then um, there was a leadership change and the new guy was quite dictatorial, quite demanding and quite negative and basically an arrogant ass. Mm. And so what shocked me was how quickly this organisation went from being one that was really focused on doing a great job and serving the people that we needed to serve to being everybody in it for themselves. Mm. And everybody was looking out for themselves and protecting themselves because the energy that came from the top was really negative. And the change was within like maybe six to eight weeks and people who'd been there for years were suddenly looking at leaving and taking early retirement just to get away from this place that had disintegrated into this revolting environment Mm. and um it really did show me how negativity can spread rapidly across an organisation and bring it down. Um, I've also I've also seen the same in the opposite when an organisation has been or a team has been um, unfocused, unproductive, not achieving, not working well together, and they've had a new leader come in who has been really positive and incredibly supportive and walked in saying, I trust you all. You've all got 100% 
um, my faith and trust and that's yours to lose. Mm. Whereas the other guy was like, I don't trust any of you. Prove yourselves. And that's it. They say people don't leave bad jobs, they leave bad bosses, right? Absolutely. And I've definitely seen that. I'm sure everybody, (laughs) I'm sure your listeners have witnessed that in some shape or form as well, whether it's through their own personal experience or watching a friend or a family member or a loved one Mm. leave a, a great job because of a bad boss. And a team can't look up to a leader who, as you were saying, um, you know, if you're not thriving and mm. connected with yourself, like someone who's really connected with themselves, is self-aware um, and and is focused and has the drive and understands, you know, where they got to get to and where they want people to go, um, those kind of people are inspiring. Those, those are the kind of people you want to be around. Those are the kind of people that you trust and that you want to actually work with and, and they make the job easier. Mm. So as a exactly. leader, th- th- it's an inspiring thing to be um, and, and that's what teams look for. It, it is. and But, you know, when I talk about leadership, obviously in this context we're talking about it as um, somebody who's leading people, but you can be a leader in your family mm. so or you can be a leader in your community without having... Um, a workplace to go to with people who report to you. And you can be a leader in your organisation as well um, without having a team of people. I've worked in organisations where the real leaders were the admin support and they had the ear of the senior exec, but they were so, um, they had huge levels of self-awareness. They were really motivated to get done what needed to be done and to go above and beyond where it was appropriate, but what was really interesting is that they also came from a place where they focused on self-care and they focused on self-care because that was what was expected within the organisation. So if you're wanting to look at how do you be a better leader, whether you're the mother of children or whether you're um, the CEO of an organisation, If you don't prioritise yourself at least a part of the time and say, yes, I am worth it, yes, I am worth taking time out to exercise, yes, I am worth getting eight hours sleep a night, yes, I am worth eating, you know, a well-prepared meal, whether it's prepared by you or somebody else, rather than constantly eating McDonald's and KFC, People absorb those messages and they believe that if the people that they look up to have that level of self-respect and self-care and self-awareness, then it gives them permission to do that as well, which means you'll have a better organisation. I love that you say that because Mm. um, as a leader, that's one of the things that I focus on, Uh, you know, Mm. like I... I want to lead by example and and show people that you don't have to, you know, work yourself to the bone. You don't have to burn yourself out. You actually do need to take some time for rest. You do need to take some time out and actually switch off. Um, And, you know, it can be so easy as a manager to get stuck in that rut of, I've got to get all the things done. I've got to get them all done now. But, you know, when you actually take the time to plan and, and actually demonstrate that it can be done, the rest of the team follows suit and they go, oh, well, you know, you're taking time off. You're really yeah. busy. I guess I can too. That's why I love, that's what I love about the strategy work that I do because it helps people and organisations map out the time that they have to achieve what they want to achieve. Mm. And so we look at what are your core priorities and 
your core priorities need to include obviously the organizational um, goals that you're wanting to achieve. But if you don't build in the right time frames so that your people have time to rest, then you're not going to get there or you might get there, but you'll have a team of burnt out people who won't be capable of doing very much after you've gotten to those goals. Mm. And so what is it that you're um, doing to make sure that people do have time for breaks and time for rest and, you know, things like taking annual leave every year. In in Australia, we're so lucky we get four weeks leave a year Mm. and yet most people don't take that. So what is it that you can be doing to encourage people to be pre-planning their leave? What is it that you can be doing so that you encourage people to take a lunch break every day? And even if it's just 15 minutes to walk outside or walk around the block or leave their desk, um, or maybe it's having a policy of you don't eat food at your desk at lunchtime, or maybe you have a team lunch once a week Mm. where people can get to know each other. Um, And then taking, you know, how do you schedule meetings? What's your meeting culture like? Is it one hour meeting back to back to back to back where you don't even have time to go to the toilet in between them? Or do you have 25 minute meetings or 50 minute meetings so that you've got those, you know, few minutes in between Mm. to get a cup of tea or to go to the loo or to walk, you know, to get up off your desk at least and go for a bit of a walk or stretch or just let your eyes rest from seeing that screen all the time. Mm. And there's there's such an impact that it, it has on us when we don't take just that 15 minutes in between meetings. Like it, what it does to our nervous system and our body, like just when we keep it in that constant state, um, we're not performing yeah. at our best when we do that. No, we're not. We're not doing no, ourselves not. any favours. <laughs> no, we're not. But even, you know, with our bodies, physically, um, I'm over 40, and once we turn 40, our bodies and our muscles start to atrophy if we don't move for 37 minutes. Mm. 37 minutes is not even the length of an episode of something on Netflix these <laughs> days. Um let alone a meeting. So if you're in a meetings culture organisation, particularly if you're still working from home and everything's through a screen and you don't even have another room to walk to in between meetings, then I don't know about you, but if I'm sitting for an hour or longer, it hurts Mm. when I move. Mm -hmm. Like my joints creak and hurt and I'm fairly fit and active. And so if you're not, then you must be in a world of pain when you start to get up after an hour or two hours of meetings sitting on your bum. Well, they say sitting's the new smoking, don't they? (laughs) I don't. I've got a degree in public health and nothing will ever be as bad as smoking. <laughs> true that, true that. But, you know, um, yeah, it all has an impact. Um, and it, it does. It yeah. Does. And, you know, one of the things that, that just came to me as you were speaking, Mel, was um, people get so tied up in how important they are in a job, you know, like and one of the things I try to get people to see is perspective um, yeah. that, you know what, if you left tomorrow, they'd go ahead and replace you. Yeah. You're not that special. I mean, you are, but for them, you're not. You are replaceable. And I think I when we can give ourselves that perspective, yeah. that changes the way on how we use our time in the workplace. Oh, absolutely. I feel really grateful I had that lesson very early in my career. I had a great job, but it was a lot of hours and I got to the, like I worked in this organisation for three years and then by the end of the three years I wasn't learning 
I needed to go elsewhere to learn more. And when I resigned, my boss said to me, now I need to hire two people to replace you. Mm. And I thought, oh, I knew I was overworked. (laughs) But that comment has just demonstrated that I actually was. And it was a really good reminder that you don't need to flog yourself in a job. Mm. And there's a lot of conversation going on at the moment around mm. quiet quitting and, um, you know, quiet, quiet rehiring is the new one. Like um, mm. people are actually quietly going and getting another job or um, they're quietly just not doing the full extent of what they used to do. Um, yeah. And you know what? To me, that's okay. As long as you're showing up, you, you're making a contribution and you, you, you're doing your job, you do not have to kill yourself, right? No, you don't. And it's about having conversations. It's about setting boundaries and having conversations. Mm. And it's about having, I think boundaries are something that are really underestimated by a lot of people mm. um, and particularly boundaries in the workplace. And I think now is such a great time to start putting some of those boundaries in. It's a new year. It's, um, you know, things are changing. Hopefully people are going back into the workplace or there's expectations are shifting because of the quiet quitting um, process. But if you are starting a new job or even if you're not, have a think about what is negotiable for you and what isn't. Mm. What are some of the things that you really don't want to be doing when it comes to work? do you really want to be working on weekends? Do you really want to be working through every lunch break? Do you really want to be working outside of your core office hours all the time? Now, I certainly understand there's sometimes where, you know, deadlines and projects and you sometimes do need to work a little bit longer or you do need to work an occasional night weekend. Mm. And that's different. It's when that happens all the time and you find yourself becoming exhausted and resentful that's when there's a problem. Mm. Or if you work for someone who constantly just loads you up with work and doesn't have an understanding as to how long that work takes, maybe it's time to have a conversation and say, just to let you know, you've given me all these projects. Realistically, this is what can be done in a week, Mm. in a work week. So let's sit down together and prioritise what's most important from your perspective so that I can focus on that and we can, you know, push something else back. Mm, That's it. And that's something that I think a lot of people don't think about as a leader. What can we deprioritise? What can we push off the plate? Because that's, that's where the true leadership comes from, I think. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And if you're already full, like physically full or emotionally full with the work that you're doing, you can't add more in unless something drops off. Mm. And you need to think about what can go, what can fall off the list if you're putting this other thing in. Mm. And, you know, something I've, I've talked about a lot on this show is as a leader, one of my key philosophies is that we're dealing with people. We need to treat people as people, not numbers, not tasks, not performance. They are a human and, you know, yes, they have a job to do, but they've also got a life outside of that job that impacts the job that they do. So that's how I tend to approach it and I think it works really, really well because it's a holistic approach. We're looking at the whole human and we encourage to mm-hmm. encourage them to bring the whole human to work. 
Um, is that one of the, the key philosophies that you have as well, Mel? Oh, absolutely. If you don't bring, like, uh, it's, I don't understand people who say I keep my home separate from my work because how do you do that? Mm. Like, seriously, is there a switch in your brain that you flick? I don't understand because if you're, if you're not comfortable showing up as who you are 100%, maybe you're not working for the right organisation. Maybe you need to find another organisation to work for that will accept you or that will make you comfortable enough to show up as your true self. I worked with this guy years ago who said, oh, no, I keep it all separate. And he was really cranky one day when he came into the office and I said, what's wrong? And he said, oh, I've just got some problems with my kids. And I went, well, do you want to talk about it? And he said, no, I don't. And I said, well, it's impacting on your work. I've noticed over the last week that you've not been as present at work as you have been. So really, I don't care if you don't want to talk to me about it, but you need to talk to somebody about it because it's clearly impacting. And he was really shocked because he thought he was doing a really good job of hiding who he what he was going on at home. And I said to him, if I don't know, I can't help you. Mm. I said, I don't, you, you, you can tell me as much or as little as you want to, but if you need time off to sort out the home stuff, let's have a conversation about that. If you need to change your working hours to to accommodate what's going on in your personal world, let's have a conversation about that. Mm. And so we did and it improved. But he was really shocked that I was prepared to do that because he'd never worked with anybody before who was prepared to have that flexibility or acknowledge that um, there were other things in life. And he said to me, I once had a boss that had three kids and I didn't know Mm. because he never talked about them. And so I believed that you just didn't talk about your families at work. I think that's the key foundation of connection, right, Mel? Like um, if you don't know who someone is, how can you trust them, particularly in when you're trying to work together and collaborate? And, you know, (laughs) I was just thinking as you were saying that, it's like we are not a jigsaw puzzle. You can't leave the pieces of home behind. They go with you everywhere. Oh, I like that. Well, that was a download. Yeah. You can, thank you very much. <laughs> um, so, um, it, and it's true, we're not. It goes with us everywhere we go. Um, we exactly. we go everywhere. So um, I think if we can't look at ourselves or as a leader look at people that way and understand that, mm. you know, something outside of the workplace is impacting their performance, then we're very, yeah. very narrow-minded and we're not actually going to achieve what we want to. Yeah. I had a, I had a client um, a few years ago who came to me and said, I've, there's an issue with one of my staff. I don't know um, what's going on. It was 2020. We'd just gone into lockdown and and she said he's been great in the office but he's just dropped the ball on a few things since we've been working from home. And I said, have you... I said, what's his home situation like? Do you know? And she said, no, I don't. And I said, do you know what the home situation's like for any of your staff or for the you know, majority of them? And she was a small, um, she was a CEO of a smallish organisation, only had about maybe 20, 25 staff, so it wouldn't have been hard to have found out. And she said, actually, no, I don't. And I said, maybe you should find out, like call, have a conversation with all of them on Zoom, video on, get them to maybe walk around and you do the same with yours so that they can, you can all get a sense of what your work and home lives are like at the moment. And she said, that's a great idea. 
and said, great. So a week later we had a chat and I said, how did it go? And she, with this particular staff member, and she said, I'm really glad I asked because in um, about a month before going into lockdown, he moved in with his girlfriend into a one-bedroom apartment and they got a dog. Oh. Oh, my goodness. And so no wonder he was dropping the ball when he was in a new relationship, in a new home environment, in a one-bedroom apartment with a puppy. Mm. Distracted (laughs) much? He was not coping on any single level. Yeah. Yeah. And he said, if I'd known we were going to be going into lockdown, we would have rented a two-bedroom apartment and not got the puppy. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, I think COVID was a, and working remotely has been a great way for us to build that connection, even though we're not in the same space. Yeah. Um, I know for me and my team, it actually brought us closer together because we we maximised that opportunity and actually mm. we, we were in each other's homes, basically. Um, yeah, and exactly. We, and so we actually kind of gamified it. We kind of were like, all right, like sh- bring things into the, your, your, you know, your space. Sh- tell us stories about you. You know, go and find the, the coolest thing you think you've got in your house or the thing that means yeah. the most to you or bring your dog on a Zoom or whatever. You know, we would do yeah. this quite regularly because it was fun. It, it yeah. kept people, you know, motivated and, and inspired instead of just sitting there looking at a screen the whole time. They were like, okay, yeah. This is my home, but now it's also my workspace. How can I make yeah. the two work together? Exactly. One of my other clients said to me, are we living from home or working? No, are we, are we working from home or living at work? And I really liked that reframe of we're living at work now because it just shifted expectations in a lot of people's minds. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. So... But- Sorry, Mel. Um, so your book, Fully Connected. Yes, um, yes. If you were to give us your five top tips from that book on how we can be a fully connected leader, what would they be? Ooh, five. Um, so the first one I think is you need to know where you're coming from. So if you haven't had, um, you need to know what your health is like is the bottom line. So if you haven't had a doctor's appointment in a year or two, it's time go and, you know, book in for a checkup, book in for the regular blood tests, get your blood pressure checked, make sure that everything in your body and your brain is working in the way that it's supposed to be. Because if it's not, that's going to set you back immediately. Um, The second thing I think is look at what are your, try and become more self-aware because self-aware leaders have a greater presence than um, people who aren't. And they're also easier to work with (laughs) so think about what are your values what are your um um what are your core values what do you believe in what are your what's your core purpose and doesn't necessarily need to be your life purpose it could be what's your purpose in the organization that you work in so have a think about how do you become more self-aware third is think about um what motivates you Do you know what gets you up in the morning? Do you know what gives you that drive to achieve things or to be a better leader? Fourth is prioritise self-care because if you don't focus on self-care and the the three main things I think are getting enough sleep, if you're not getting at least seven to eight hours a night, the majority of nights of the week, then you are never going to be showing up in a good enough way. Are you eating the right foods for your body and your mind? Are you getting enough rest and sl- and exercise? So look at those three those 
four things. <laughs> and then finally, I think do something that you love every day. Think about what gives you joy and do one of those things every day. And it might be something as simple as having a cup of tea on the front step on your own in the morning and watching the sunrise, or it might be going for a run, or it might be playing with your kids or your dog, or, you know, I might be reading a book. Everybody has things that they love to do and believe that we need to get more joy in our lives. And we've, we've got responsibility for that. We've got control over that. Oh, I so, couldn't agree more with that one, mm-hmm. Mel. I know in some of the coaching I do, like that's one of the key things I ask people is, okay, what brings you joy? Like I, yeah. I do the whole Maria Kondo thing. I'm like, okay, yeah. does it spark joy? Um, <laughs> and um, there's some people, they just look at me blank and they go, got nothing. There's nothing in my wow. life that brings me joy. I'm like, come on, just let's look at the little things. Like really, really yeah. like, do you like a good coffee? Like... You know, what, you know, what makes you smile? What makes you laugh? Like what makes you remind you you're alive? Absolutely. You know? And I and I think sometimes we do need that reminder. Um, the other thing, you know, laugh every day. When I was diagnosed with mild depression in my 20s, my doctor said to me, you don't need drugs yet. There's other ways that we can help lift you out of this. And one of the things I want you to do is once a month go to a comedy club and see a show. Oh, what great medicine is that? (laughs) I know. And I'd never been to a comedy club before, so I went to one. uh, Fortunately, some friends rang me two days later and said, we're going to the comedy club, and I just went, doing what? (laughs) (laughs) So I went with them and laughed my head off. It was such a great night. But, you know, you don't need to go to a comedy club. You can just watch a funny show on TV or Netflix. And um, my favourite is Ted Lasso, best mm-hmm. show ever. And you'll laugh and you'll cry and you'll, you know, have all the feels. But watch something or do something that makes you laugh. Spend time with people who lift you up. Um, you know, think about the people in your life who makes you feel really good about yourself. Mm. Hang out with them. Yeah, Makes, makes life feel a whole lot better, that's for sure. Um, Absolutely. Mel, seriously, I could talk to you all day. <laughs> um, and, you know, when we get together, we always want to just keep going. Um, but I, I do want to ask you, if people want to get a hold of the book uh, and get in touch with you and find out more, where can they go? So if you'd like a signed copy, you can buy it from my website, melkettle.com. If you're not in Australia and don't want to pay exorbitant postage fees, and I do not blame you, um, you can get it from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Booktopia, Depository, all the usual online places. Um, and the easiest way to get in touch is through social media. If you Google my name, um, Mel Kettle, you'll find me in lots of places, or you can just go to my website and there's links there, melkettle.com. Amazing. And um, I'm lucky to have a, a signed copy of your book. Thank you very much. You are. <laughs> <laughs> now, last big question for you, Mel. What's the change you'd like to see in the world and how can we bring it to life? Oh, that's such a good question. I, I would like to see people, more people doing what they love every day. Mm. Because when you do what you love, you smile more and you're happier and you bring that energy to the people around you, to strangers and to friends and to colleagues and to family. Mm. Imagine the, the the energy frequency of the world if everybody did what they loved every day. Yeah. I think the world yeah. will t- tilt a little bit, you know. 
I think so too. <laughs> and I think it's particularly important if you're doing a job that doesn't, that you know, that you're just doing it for the money, then you really do need to find things that you love to do so that you can insert some of those other things in your day, mm. in your own time. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, Mel, you are always a joy to hang out with. Thank you so much for being a part of the Ethical Evolution. Absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for inviting me on. Thanks for listening to the Ethical Evolution podcast. If you're ready to be the change and would love to work with me on finding your voice through spiritual coaching or creating your own podcast with impact, visit ethicalchangeagency.com. I'm DC. I host the Rock Podcast. Back to the arena, the interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the Interviews. Electric Acid. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast Networks include Ruby for Female Empowerment, The Best Business Network, and GPN for Geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electrocast.